understand the next time you play your family, that to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Welcome back, everybody, to Meet Us at Molly's, episode 41. My name is Bryna. I'm one of your hosts tonight. With me, as always, is Gina. Hello. Ashley, unfortunately, cannot make it tonight. Um, We will, all three of us, be back together at some point. I don't know when, but we will all be back together at some point. For real. Um, We've kind of been like, I don't know, not really a curse, but like, when one of us misses, it kind of like goes in waves. Yeah, it's like when one of us misses, then it's like a, just like a tumble of like four weeks where we all keep missing each other as like a group of three. Yeah. But yeah, we'll be back for the special episodes, I think, by the time we should all be there for the special episodes, hopefully. The special ones, meaning the ones we're going like, to do during the Olympics? Hiatus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones we're going to do during hiatus. Yeah, which if you missed that, we tweeted out our February calendar today. So definitely go check it out. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. The whole social media world. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, we like to start with some news. We were a little light on the news, but we did get one piece of very important news. Mama Severide has been cast. Ah, we have a Mama Severide! Finally. I feel like we've only been talking about Mama Severide coming on since, like, probably since we started this podcast. Like, Yeah. And she's real. finally been cast. Um, So Kim Delaney is going to play Mama Severide. She was formerly of NYPD Blue. Um, She's also in a bunch of other things. I mean, I recognized her from the OC. Um, She was in the OC? Yes. She played Sandy's ex-girlfriend, like, the main one in season two. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. That's also because that show aired when I was in high school. Which I mean, I, Ashley and I both had to go look it up. So I didn't remember it off the top of my head. But, like, I remembered it once I, like, looked it up. And I watched it more recently than you did. I watched it, like, almost a year ago. So I need to do a rewatch of that show. God, that was so good. It's really good. Yeah. Season four, eh, but season one, two, and three is really good. Yeah, I'll watch up until Marissa dies, and then I'll just be like, nope, it ended right here. <laughs> like, that is it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, she was on the OC, but she's mainly, like, mostly remembered for NYPD Blue, which I've never seen. But that's what, what I've think? been told. Yeah. What do you think of this casting? Because there's been mixed reviews. I mean, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't. What do you think? Why why are there mixed reviews? Because she doesn't really look like. I think because Taylor Kinney. She is younger than what everyone imagined. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that fits Benny's profile pretty well to me. Yeah, that's true. A woman Benny would go for. So then. Yeah, I just, it's it's hard. It's we're kind of grasping at straws here, trying to put together the puzzle of this character we've never met yet, and we don't really have any details on her either. It's I mean, which is kind of shocking considering we've had five and a half seasons of Fire, and we don't really know anything about her. Like we don't even have a name. Like 
age, you know, how old she was when Kelly was born. Like, we don't have any of this. Jeez. Yeah. We have hardly anything. We have that she was once married to Benny. So it wasn't just, like, a random hookup. They were once married. That's literally all we have about Kelly's mom. Well, we just have what Kelly's told Gabby, really, and what what Kelly told uh, Bria when, you know, it sounds like his mom had a drug problem, you know, when Benny cheated with the teacher, it really fucked her up, and, you know, it was so bad that Kelly had to leave, so. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, in terms of the, like, I mean, that's, like, why Kelly is the way he is and how he ended up living with April, but, like, in terms of, like, younger Kelly and like really Benny's relationship with his ex-wife and how his Kelly's mom fits in with just like the whole thing like we don't really have any details on that so it's kind of hard to say like is this a good casting I'm sure it will be no details I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it will be I'm curious to see what brings her back though yeah same I'd have to go back and read the article because did it say, like, when she's supposed to show? I was literally just about to ask you that. <laughs> let's click the link and find out. Yeah, let's see. I didn't remember. I don't know if I read closely enough to see when. Let's see here. I'm going to just scroll through this. Scroll, computer. Let's see. Oh, hold on. I see. Delaney will guest star in an upcoming season six episode as Jennifer Sheard- Sheridan who was described as warm, scripture-quoting, and church-going. Severide's mom may have at one point partied like it was 1979, but she has now embraced the straight and narrow path. While she may claim to have moved on from the past in her messy divorce from ex-husband Benny, old habits die hard. So she's like a more tolerable version of Bunny. Who's now on the straight and narrow and goes to church. Well, she's a church-going version of Bunny. I mean, we can yeah. only guess what, what happened to Bunny, but I I'm, I feel confident saying that she's probably not a scripture-quoting churchgoer. Yeah. And then I'm reading the quote. So Derek it told TV Line, or previously told TV Line, we'll have an explanation for why you haven't seen Jennifer in five years. That won't be crazy. It's not a shocker. It's not a surprise to Severide. <clears throat> Hass also expressed her desire to get Williams, well, um, Benny back for the storyline, but it's hard because he's not a regular on our show. So I'm assuming, so it's not unclear if whether Treat Williams, who plays Benny, is actually coming back for this storyline. I thought for sure we were going to see Benny at some point throughout the rest of the season. I think we are, but... I guess maybe not at the same time. So that means Mama Sev's going to come back just, like, unprompted. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, well, that's all the news that we had this week. Um, if you guys, as always, if you guys have any news, see anything, interviews, news articles, just anything you guys think is of particular interest that you want to share with us, email it to us, DM, to, DM it to us on Twitter. We're only three people. We can only surf the internet so much. So, let's just hop right into this week's episode. Um, Tonight we're talking about Chicago Med, Season 3, Episode 9, titled On Shaky Ground. Um, Gina, what did you just think, real quick, before we get into the different storylines overall of this episode? 
that yeah that's a good question i it was good <laughs> like it's not an episode i'm like over the moon about i'm not like oh my god this was amazing i'm just like okay this is good like there were yeah it wasn't like the episode as a whole that stood out to me there were moments that i like had opinions on right i'm kind of surprised there wasn't more of a cliffhanger like Fire's giving us two cliffhangers in the span of their season, and we haven't gotten one from Med, which is kind of weird considering I figured I figured this was going to be more of their, like, mid-season finale, like, episode, and so I figured there'd be some kind of cliffhanger or something um, to leave people hanging for the two weeks that they're off, but there wasn't, so I was kind of shocked about that. Well, you can only blow up Chicago Med so many times. Right, but Fire's done it twice in 11 episodes. Well, it's fire. They can they can do what they want. But, you yeah. know. No, I get, I just, I get I just, that. Yeah. I just thought, I just thought that, like, considering they didn't have a mid-season finale going into, like, Christmas break, um, that they would have had one, or had something, not even necessarily a cliffhanger, but something more shocking mm-hmm. to seem like an episode that's going to go into a hiatus, but they didn't have that, so... It's kind of just shocked. About I'm okay that. with it though, because I mean, you can only handle so many cliffhangers, right? And plus, we've got we, this comes out on Friday. We're recording on Wednesday. We haven't seen PD yet, so PD might leave us with something. And so, between like PD and Fire, and yes, we all watch This Is Us. We're a little bruised from that. Like, I haven't watched it yet. Don't spoil it for me. I, I'm not saying a word, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it because we can only handle so much. Yeah, no, that's true. I just, like I said, I just thought there'd be something a little, maybe if you, I don't want to say cliffhanger or shocking, but just something that I felt like moved the storyline a little bit further. Because I mean, yeah. besides really Maggie, like there was nothing that really moved any of the character storylines further. Well, Sarah's did. It was very like understated the way it was done, but right. I mean, Sarah made some big progress this episode. Right, but in the grand scheme of things, I just, maybe, like, that's what I should have said. It's, like, something that was, like, more, like, plot-driven and, mm-hmm. like, wasn't just, like, it kind of, overall, this was a filler episode, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, it, it just kind of, like, nudged it was a very forward. much a filler ep- Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I see what you're saying. But anyway, let's just get right into it. Um, as always, we break this down by storyline, um, not necessarily chronologically, but it all works out in the end. Um, so we're going to start with Natalie and Will. So the first scene, the very first scene of the episode, um, we see a pregnant woman coming in and we immediately see that she's hemorrhaging. Um, you know, she's pregnant and Natalie determines right away that she's going into labor and her baby is going to be born prematurely. Um, and they're kind of talking things out and there's a chance that the baby won't survive and they have to, you know, get the parents permission to see what they want to do once the baby come, you know, is delivered whether they want to take extreme measures to keep the baby alive or whether they don't. This storyline, like, this was, like, the first scene, too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this is, like, the very first scene. Yeah, literally the first scene is, like, hi, welcome to Chicago Med. Your baby's doomed. I was, like, this is a really (laughs) odd way to start the episode. Yeah. It's a really, yeah. Because usually, I feel like, especially in season three, usually we get... The first minute or so is always something personal related to a character. So whether it's something Manstead related or something with Rhodes or something like a conversation that April and Choi are having. Like it never has to do with a patient. But this, it was like 
the minute the episode started, you see the um, patient being wheeled in, and it's just like, whoa. Yeah. We also never learned the patient's name, so that also did not help. I thought we didn't. I was wondering if I had just missed that detail, but yeah, I, I, I thought we didn't. No, I think you learn the baby's name, like what they decide to name the baby, mm-hmm. um, but you don't learn their name. So I literally just have to, like, I was writing an outline and I was like, pregnant woman, like <laughs> mother and father, like you, you we don't learn names. Um, so anyway, so the pregnant woman <laughs> gives birth <laughs> um, and as she gives birth, the amniotic sac is still together. So literally the baby is born in the amniotic sac. Um, and so Natalie will take him out of the room and, you know, they're going to take him up to the NICU. And as they're waiting for the elevator, they see that the baby is like moving and still alive. And so they cut open the sack and then they head upstairs to the NICU. Just, you know, casual, just waiting for the elevator, just cutting into the amniotic sack. It's just Manstead things like hashtag just Manstead things. This freaked me out way more than it should have. No, like, I get it. I know that the amniotic sack is like you know part of life and whatever but like this freaked me out way more than it should have and I like literally to start this episode off like I had just made brownies beforehand (laughs) and I was eating some of them and literally the episode started and there's all this blood and then the amniotic sac thing and I was like I'm good I don't need to eat my brownie right now (laughs) I was like I'm good (laughs) like it freaked me out way more than it should have Yeah, it was a little unsettling because you don't really expect to see that in the first, like, five minutes or so of the episode. I mean, for me, okay, I just spent the weekend in California. I'm, like, drowning in Harry Potter greatness. So, to me, I was like, that's like an egg from one of the Harry Potter movies. Like, Yeah. No, and it just, I don't know. I'm usually not as freaked out by, like, I'm never really freaked out by blood and things like that. And so, for me, the fact that I was really freaked out, it was very graphic and or more graphic than I expected it to be. Yeah, Meds had so. like a, a knack for doing that this season because I'm the same way with medical shows. Like I'm not squeamish. I'm good. I can handle just about anything. There have been yeah. so many gross out moments this season that yeah. have like made me recoil on the couch. Like ew. Yeah. Well, and even like in real life, like I'm not that squeamish. I mean, I've worked in a medical like I worked in a medical office for four years. Like I really can handle a lot of shit. But this, like med, like you said, med this season has given me a lot of moments where I'm just like, no, 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 no. And like cover my eyes. Like what the fuck am I watching this right now? And like, this there is was one in this episode too. Yeah. yeah. We'll get there. Killing us med writers. You're killing us. I know. <laughs> um, so at, they're on their way up to the NICU. And once it gets to NICU, the NICU doctor checks out the baby and then says that, you know, the baby's not going to survive. Um, and that the best they can do is make him comfortable. And Natalie has very strongly disagrees. Um, she knows that it's going to be a tough road, but she thinks that the baby has a chance to survive. So Natalie and Will go talk to the parent, the baby's parents, and you know they're telling them that there's a good chance that he won't survive, whatever. Um, but and they're like, "Well, are you sure? Like, you know, there's always a chance." And Natalie says, "She's like." Defining viability is not an exact science. Unfortunately, there's no way of knowing anything with certainty. Um, so That's a true course, statement. It is, but it also gives the fact that Natalie's not confident. Um, they can kind of read it on her face so that parents now have a glimmer of hope, glimmer of hope since Natalie says, you know, like, it's possible that he could survive. But then Will's like, no, 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 but you need to be prepared for the worst. Like, 
Quill's trying to like bring it back down to like reality. Um, so then Natalie and Will leave the parents. And Will gets on Natalie um, in the hallway for saying what she said to the parents. And Will's like, you know, we should be helping these parents get through it, not making it harder for them. You know what bugged me in this whole storyline? And I'm not even going to lie. Like, I really don't like how everybody was like shitting on this poor mom and was like, yeah, your baby's going to die. Like anytime she would say anything like remotely positive, they were like, your baby's going to die. And like, I get that they had to keep it real with her and they had to give it to her straight. And like, I wouldn't want anybody to sugarcoat it for me either. But it still irritated me a little bit how, you know, anytime this mom would do anything, they had to reinforce the notion that the baby was going to die. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, that's a good point. But I I guess I was, I mean, I don't know. We got a tweet from Kate about this. And, you know, Kate just kind of, she disagreed here. She just said, totally disagreed. The woman was in shock with the news that she was in labor. She deserved to be prepared. And, you know, she went on to say that, you know, she thought Manstead handled it appropriately at first. And then Natalie went and got all unprofessional again. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel is that Nat, you know, they handled it well in the beginning, but then Natalie let her emotions overcome her and she got attached and she became unprofessional. Like always. Yeah. Like always. So Natalie later on, Natalie's in the NICU watching over the baby. Will comes in to get an update and pretty much as soon as he comes in, he's followed in by the mother like, seconds later, um, and Natalie asks the mom if she wants to hold the baby, um, and as soon as pretty much she hold, starts holding the baby, you know, all of a sudden his heart rate declines. Did you notice here how the minute she was, like, Nat was, like, want to hold him? And she's, like, yeah. She literally opens the incubator and is, like, here you go. Have at it. Like, I feel like with a, a 25-week-old premature baby, there are certain precautions that you should probably take and not just, like, reach in and touch the baby with your bare hands not that I know anything about this right well I think usually it's kind of weird that like because I feel like and every other thing and granted I don't know like scientifically and stuff like anything about premature babies but I feel like in every like news story or movie or television show that I've seen that deals with like a premature baby they all aren't allowed to even like touch the baby for like four weeks at least like, the baby has to get stronger before, like, that can happen. But today, they were, you know, the parents were allowed to touch the baby and hold the baby and do all these things. And I was like, wait, huh? Right. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just kind of found that a little jarring how Natalie was like, drop the incubator. Here you go. Have at it. Go crazy. Yeah, it it's weird. Um, but anyway, so... The mom starts pleading with Manstead to, you know, help him. But Will reminds her that, like, you know, her and her husband that, um, you know, they signed a DNR. And in this moment, I was like, well, we've really gone complete 180 on this DNR issue, haven't we? <laughs> like, Oh, my God. I wanted to punch him in this moment. He literally just stood there. Literally just stood there. And then, like, when he said that, too, he's like, yeah, but you and your husband already made this decision. Almost like he was kind of rubbing it in. I'm like, Will, like. But what do you expect? Like, what is he supposed to do? Like, uh, when they signed a DNR, like, you're not supposed to do anything. 
Well, I also feel like in that in that split second, in that moment, I feel like Natalie handled it well, just being like, are you saying that you're reversing this? Are you saying you want us to do everything? Like, is this exactly what you're saying? Instead of just standing there and being so, like, condescending about it. Yeah, I don't know. And it's interesting. Like, I don't know what the legally, like, I'd, I should have researched this and I didn't. Like, is legally saying, like, are you allowed to say that, like, you changed your mind and have that legally trump something that you already signed and is, like, dated and, like, probably notarized? Like, you know, like, is it something, like, can that, just like you saying I changed my mind, can that trump what you already signed? That, hmm, so then that comes down to a question of contract law. Yeah, Gina, the lawyer, (laughs) what is that? Yeah, surprise everybody. Um, <laughs> um, that's a good question. See, I I could imagine that that would definitely lead to some drama in court. Um, but verbal contracts are enforceable in certain instances. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of like rambling and thinking out loud here, but. I feel like it would come down to that's that's something that would probably be decided in court because would you know hmm, well well I, I just don't also- know I feel like a I feel like a lot of times when I've watched you know other things like medical shows or movies or whatever like they always talk about like well once you sign like you can't go back so like I just don't know what is actually true like can you go back after you've signed a DNR. And, like, especially when you're not technically the patient. Like, in this case, it's the parents talking for a prematurely born baby. Like, I'd understand it more if you were the patient and, like, you had, like, a brain tumor or something. And, like, once you sign the DNR, like, they're not going to listen to anything you say because you might not be in your right state of mind. But, like, in this case, what is the like circumstances and what are the decisions that go into it I don't know I think that's definitely something they would look at is if the parents have you know the parents are not being coerced not under duress or thinking clearly you know I think that's something that they would definitely look at I just I can imagine I imagine in the world of hospitals and healthcare and everything like that that the hospital would be terrified to you know let a verbal command trump a contract like a written contract Wait, say that again. Like, I th- I feel like in like in the in the world of healthcare and like the medical world that like I don't think a hospital would want to take on that risk of like letting a verbal contract trump a written contract or letting a verbal right. statement over like trump a written contract. But again, this is this is me like just rambling. I'm just I know these this doesn't sound very lawyerly. It sounds like you know a mess, but I'm just like rambling and kind of brain dumping what I know. Yeah, I was trying to see if I could do like a quick google search but i don't have time to sit there and read so if anyone else if anyone knows the answer to this question send us a dm or an email or or something yeah just let us know something just let us know but anyway so anyway so they're telling them that they changed their mind and so natalie like gina said you know natalie's like are you sure like are you sure this is what you're saying so once they're like, yeah, we're sure, like, Natalie jumps in and starts resuscitating the baby. So the father comes in to join the mother in visiting their premature son. Um, and they have this really just, like, moment um, where the mother's, like, 
you know, you should, like, touch him or, you know, whatever. And the father's kind of hesitant. And the father, once he finally, like, sticks his hand in there and, like, touches his, like, hand, the baby's hand, they, like, he, like, has this reflex or, like, you know, and then they start talking to the baby. And, like, Natalie and Will are just kind of sitting there watching with broken hearts because the parents still seem so positive about the situation. But in Will and Natalie, I think both know that, like, it's not going to end up well but they're so positive so it just kind of breaks Will and Natalie's hearts um but anyway so the baby who we find out his name's Ian um flatlines eventually after he stops breathing um and then you know the parents just cry and Natalie just somehow though is able to like contain her own emotions and tell them you know she's sorry um but then she like walks out of the room and so later on at the end of the episode Natalie's approached by the parents you know who lost their baby and they end up thanking her for everything she did. Um, and then Will and Natalie have this conversation about, you know, just the whole situation. And really the kind of the main thing is Will's like, well, what are you going to do next time? Um, and then that's kind of the end of the scene. And that's the end of the man stud stuff for this episode. How do you think Will handled Natalie in this storyline? <sighs> I don't know. I think... I think it will, I think that for the first, one of the very first times this season, like, since they became, like, a couple, I think Will did a really good job about balancing, like, being able to be professional with her and not want to just comfort Natalie the whole time because, like, that's his girlfriend. Um, but I think, I think his, this line about, like, what are you going to do next time was a little cold, but at the same time, I think it was necessary for him yeah. to say that to her. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a little bit there, because I feel like he had no idea how to handle her in this situation, and he was just, so, like, he knew she was upset, but he didn't really know how to console her, but somehow, like, at first... You know, after this episode aired, I was like, well, Will was kind of a jerk tonight. But then the more I thought about it, like, I'm with you that he he somehow found a way to strike a balance between being her attending and also being her boyfriend. And it's surprising. It shows a lot of growth on Will's part because he doesn't usually find a balance. He's usually all on one side. Yeah. And no, and like to go off what my point about what he was talking about, like how I thought it was a little cold, like obviously just the way he says it and the way Nick Gelfus delivers it, like. He's like, well, what are you going to do next time? Like, it comes off a little bit cold, but, like, Natalie needs to hear that because this is, I want to say the second or third time this season that, like, she's kind of gotten overly attached to some patient that she's had and, you know, has let her emotions get in the way of her being, you know, the professional doctor that she is. And so I think Will saying, well, what are you going to do next time? Like, hopefully it gets through to her or makes her start seeing that, like, her behavior when it comes to being overly attached is not okay. Well, and that kind of leads into another good point. You know, the promo for the the episode that's going to air after the Olympics shows I've that Natalie. So yes, tell me. Oh yeah, okay. So Natalie pretty much does the same thing, only kind of worse actually. Um, oh God. And so if this keeps happening over and over again, what what does this mean for their relationship? Surely at some point. Will's going to be like, listen, I can't keep covering for you. It's going to put my career at risk. Right. And I'm curious, though, did they show anything? Is Will the one working with her in that episode? I don't think they showed anything. I think it was okay. primarily just her. 
I'd be curious to see if Will's the one working with her in the next episode or if it's someone like April or Choi. Um, who, if you think about all three, like Natalie has very different working relationships with all three of those people that I just named. So I think it'd be interesting to see who she's working with and how that affects it. But yeah, and if she keeps going down this path, like eventually she's going to end up probably, she's going to do something that's so bad and that she's not going to be able to come back from that she's going to end up in the suspension. Yeah, I'm wondering what she could possibly do that would be, that would basically drive Will to be like, I can't be with you. See, I don't know if it's going to, I don't know. I don't know if I'd see it going that part. I mean, I obviously see, because me instead has been too cute and too perfect. Like, I see that it's going to lead into some relationship issues, but will it cause them to break up? I don't know. And I don't know what that would look like. Like what, like you just said, like what would lead, what would be so bad that would cause them to break up? Yeah, it's kind of a question of how much can they take? You know, what's their, what's their breaking point? Right. And I feel like though they're going to hit their breaking point relatively early comparatively, just because this is, I mean, although it's the third season med, this is the first season where we've seen me instead as a couple. Yeah, it's true. We know they're going to hit their breaking point this season. They're going to break up. As long as they don't forget about them like they did Berzik, cough, cough, hint, hint. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Just remember that they exist, kind of like Dossie. Circle back to them. Don't forget them like Berzik. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they always circled back to them at some point in season one and season two. So, like, I hope that they would circle back to me instead. But, yeah. Yeah, so that's all for the Manstead storyline. Um, now we're going to talk about Dr. Charles and Sarah. So, um, the first thing we see with them is Dr. Charles brings Sarah into this prison, um, because she's decided that she wants to do her research there. Okay, I need a quick clarifier. Sarah is a resident, right? Yes. I'm trying to, because I was just trying to, I was confused on why she needed to do research, but I guess that would make sense if she's a resident. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a resident. She's not an intern. Right, because she started out as a medical student. Right. And last year she was, I guess, an intern. Sure. And now we're going to call her a resident. Yeah, we're going to call her I, a resident. I just wanted, like, that was just like, I was like, why does she need to do research? And then I was like, oh, right, she's still technically not, like, an actual psychiatrist yet. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So, and, like, this is something you can clearly tell that Dr. Charles does a lot is to, like, check on the like patients there because the guards recognize him, things like that. Dr. Charles is given medical advice to one of the guards about his newborn baby. Um, so, you know, Dr. Charles is like, well, you know, you can change your mind if you want. Like, we can turn around right now. But, like, as they enter the main area where the prisoners are, like, all yelling and being held and stuff, you know, Sarah's like, nope, I'm all good. Like, let's do this. Um, so... They enter, like I said, they enter this, like, main area where the prisoners are yelling, but that's, like, where they're held. Um, And Dr. Charles and Sarah tell the guard that, you know, they need to see a prisoner named Hector. And the guard informs them that Hector's a level three, which means they have to clear the floor and bring in additional officers. So they do that, and they end up meeting with Hector. My first thought, though, is, so Hector is a very large man. He's got tattoos everywhere, and he's got one across his forehead that, bothered me so much I was trying to rewatch it a couple times and like see if I can make it out and I can't tell what it says 
I noticed it, but I, I yeah, I didn't I didn't notice what it said, but I, I noticed that he had a lot of tattoos and that he was a very like big stocky guy. Yeah, I was just like I because especially forehead tattoos, like you never really see a forehead tattoo. So I was like, what the fuck does that say? And it's something in Spanish. Something I I don't know. I really tried hard, but I could not figure it out. Could you imagine um, if on the resident that death before dishonor tattoo that Conrad has? Could you imagine if it was across his forehead instead of his back? I mean, ew. But I also, fun <laughs> fact, I never got around to watching the resident. Oh well, yeah. So Conrad has a giant tattoo across his back. It says or, death before dishonor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about that. I know about the tattoo. I just haven't watched it yet. I digress. Anyway, go on. <laughs> anyway. So they meet with Hector. And Dr. Charles wants to kind of take the lead on this one. But Sarah's like, nope, I'm going to do it. And he's like, but, but, but. And Sarah's like, nope, I got this. Um, and so Sarah and Hector are sitting down at this table. And Hector's shackled. You know, he's got his handcuffs on or whatever. Um, but Sarah starts talking. And, you know, Hector leans across the table and starts barking at her, which scares her and makes her jump. Um, and then Hector just starts laughing and all the prisoners who are watching this in their cells, like they're all laughing. Um, and Sarah's like, so it's scared, visibly scared, Sarah, Sarah, scared, Sarah. Um, and so it forces the guards to take Hector away. Well, just literally all he does in this episode is bark at her. Like, is that, I'm curious how this guy got the role. (laughs) Was it just like, who could bark the scariest? Probably. It's just, I, I don't know. I was way too amused by that. More amused than I should have been. <laughs> yeah. Also, Sarah's got balls here. For her to, like, have, you know, she's she's had this issue with her anxiety and everything. For her to go, like, head first and be like, nope, I'm researching here. I'm handling the most dangerous criminal I can handle. I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to do all of this. That is ballsy. Yeah. It's good for her. Yeah. Everything about her in this episode is very ballsy. Um, so, like I said, Sarah's kind of visibly scared, or shaken, and so she and Dr. Charles have this conversation outside, um, and she's like, you know, this was stupid of me, like, why did I ever ask for this in the first place, and Dr. Charles is like, well, you asking for this opportunity wasn't stupid, just maybe ambitious, um, and then Dr. Charles also tries to calm her down by saying, you know, it's ironic because, like, Hector in this instance is probably honestly more afraid of her than she is of him, you know, and that he's just manipulating her so that he can have the upper hand because by him having the upper hand, that makes him more calm. Um, and Sarah's like, hmm, like I never thought about it like that. Um, so then we get to see Sarah try again with Hector. Um, and this time, you know, he does the barking thing again. He tries to freak her out um, and she doesn't even flinch. And so he, she finally asks him about his medicine or whatever. Um, and once he finally stops barking and things like calm down, he tells her, he's like, well, you know, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Um, and she's like, okay, well, I can provide you some, you know, like I can prescribe you some Zofran and that'll help you deal with that, whatever. And Dr. Charles just kind of looks on like a proud pop of a bear. Um, and yeah. And so at the very end of the episode, we see Dr. Charles drops Sarah off at the hospital and, you know, he tells her he's proud of her. Um, not in those words, but he's like, you know, you did a really good job today. Like, and you can just tell though that like, he's very proud of her. I See this, this is what I was saying earlier. This story like really flies under the radar, but it's actually pretty significant because, you know, she's, she's tackling her anxiety head on, just full yep. steam ahead, just tackling it. And so, 
you know, her doing this and her overcoming that, not really, not completely overcoming that fear, but tackling it and, you know, showing Hector who's boss, it's a step in the right direction. So this is a lot of growth on her part. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of growth on Dr. Charles' part as well, because for the first time, I feel like you really got to see him step in or like try to step in when you know he saw that like maybe Sarah wasn't so comfortable in the situation he's like well at first let me like take the lead on it and then she insisted so like there was nothing he could really do to stop her but like you could really see that like Dr. Charles also learned you know kind of the balance of letting Sarah fly and you know soar and overcome her anxiety but also trying to like protect her and like make sure she wasn't stepping out too far in front too fast Right. So, yeah, I thought this was a really good growth for not only Sarah, but also Dr. Charles. For sure. So, the next storyline. There's so many storylines in med episodes. Um, Not complaining, though. It's pretty great. No, not complaining, but there's, like, so many. Um, So, the next one we're going to talk about is Becker, Rhodes, and Dr. Jaffrey. Um, So, Dr. Jaffrey, who is Becker's former mentor in South Africa – is now a patient here at Chicago Med. Um, and Becker and so Becker, Rhodes, and Latham go and visit him. Um, he's got a tumor in his lung and he wants, you know, his star people to oversee his procedure. But the catch is that Jeffrey wants them to perform surgery on him awake. Um, Rhodes isn't really comfortable with the idea, but Becker assures him, you know, like they've got this, like we've got your consent, like we're good, we'll be fine. Um, and so they step, the three of them step outside in the hallway um, and have a conversation where Rhodes, you know, expresses his, you know, how he isn't comfortable with this idea. But um, Latham goes with Becker's side and she, he's like, I respect his desire to observe. He's like, if I was in a certain, you know, in his certain situation, like I would certainly want to see my own beating heart. Um, oh. I would not. Yeah, me neither. I'd be way freaked out. You know what I love, though, is how the minute he was like, I want to be awake, like Latham and Ava, they were like, okay, sounds good, whatever. And Connor wasn't even saying anything. His eyes were just bouncing across the room like, what the fuck is happening right now? Who am I talking to? How did this happen? (laughs) This is ridiculous. Yeah. I also think, though, I mean, I understand, though, like, I mean, I personally wouldn't want to do this, like, if it was me, but I think I understand where Jaffrey's coming from slightly, maybe not with, like, wanting to see an open heart, but I do think as a medical professional, like, they, you know, like, they want to take the chance to learn and they kind of approach things when it comes to their own health slightly differently. Like, I know over the years, you know, my dad's a surgeon and... I remember, like, when he had this really big, like, neck surgery, like, he approached it very differently than I think just a normal, like, person my dad's age would. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because he's a surgeon himself and, like, he understands, like, little nuances and things like that that, like, the average person wouldn't understand if they were a surgeon. Poof. Uh, Yeah, see, and... This was kind of a question that went back and forth on Twitter. A lot of people were like, is that actually possible? I don't know about open heart surgery. I had surgery about two and a half years ago or so. Nothing close to that. But it was an option for mine. It was just it was abdominal surgery. It was an option for mine. But the minute that my doctor was like, you could, but you probably want to bring some headphones or something. I was like, you know what? Knock my ass out. Just go right ahead. I'm I'm done complaining. Just, you know, just don't kill me, but go right ahead. Knock me out. I was like, never mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I had surgery a very, very, very long time ago. So like, I mean, I was like a young kid, so I wouldn't have even gotten to make that decision on my own. But I did do a quick Google, and I don't even remember what I Googled. I think I just Googled, like, awake surgery. I know they said that, like, it's definitely possible for, like, like you said, like, it depends on the procedure. And I was reading, I don't know what kind of brain surgery it is, but some brain surgeries do almost, like, require you to be awake so that they know as you, like, are awake and, like, messing with your brain that, like, they'll ask you something and, like, expect you to respond to it. And so, like, but they can't get that if you're not awake. Yeah, I, I know that. The, and when those happen, you usually see the videos that pop up on the internet of, like, isn't this amazing? And you're just like, that's really scary. Yeah, I would never want to be awake for surgery. But no, I'm not Jaffrey. So <laughs> Rhodes and Becker scrubbing in for surgery together. And Becker, you know, they're having a conversation. And Becker just thinks that Rhodes is jealous of her super, like, flashy surgery or whatever. But Rhodes just like, I'm just worried for Jaffrey's sake. Um which I kind of hard to believe that you are actually worried for Jaffrey's sake, but I think it's more of just like as a medical professional, he doesn't see the point of this patient being needing to be awake. So why would you do that? Um, so anyway, in the surgery, Dr. Jaffrey is wide awake and he's trying to control the whole situation by telling them and specifically Dr. Becker how to proceed. Um, but they kind of have to constantly remind him, you know, that in this situation, he is the patient, not the surgeon. Um, but Jeffrey just kind of continuously apologizes and is like, oh, sorry, it was a force of habit. Like, I won't do it again. <laughs> um, but later in the surgery, you know, Dr. Jeffrey is still controlling things and he ends up snapping at Ava like multiple times. Um, you know, he insults literally every little thing she does with like different tools um, and, like, methods she chooses to use. And it was in this moment. So, Dr. Jaffrey is played by Malcolm McDowell, who played – If you, have you seen Entourage, Gina? I have not. Okay. Well, one of my all-time favorite shows. Um, so, Malcolm McDowell plays Terrence, who is – at one point, like, in the beginning of the series, he's Ari's boss. Um, and he's just, like, a horrible person, whatever. And so – but, like, in this moment, I couldn't separate – Jaffrey and Terrence in my mind just because they're both such like horrible people who try to control like every little thing but I've heard that show is like a total boys club though Entourage? Yeah it is I mean it it obviously has like a very specific kind of sense of humor but if that doesn't bother you it's, it's incredible like it's super funny I I love it. I mean, it's also got, I mean, it doesn't have, like, hardly many, like, really any ships, but, like, Ian Sloan are, like, one of my favorites. Hmm. They're so good. I love them. How many seasons? Eight. Oh, shit. That's a lot. But but it's not, like, it's an HBO show, so, like, some of the seasons are really long, but it's, or, like, a normal, I think maybe even only season three is, like, the normal, like, 20 episodes but like the last season's like 10 like you know because hbo so like they don't air like normal 22 episode seasons Hmm. and they're only 20 like 20 minute episodes so like it's really not that bad interesting it's just not on like you have to kind of have hbo because like it's not on netflix interesting but i highly recommend i love it i love that cast too anyway (laughs) Sides of point. So 
Rhodes, you know, ends up making the decision that they're going to end up putting Jaffrey under. And even though he objects, they decide to do it anyways. And Rhodes is like, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm making the decision. Like, I think we know we need to do this. Latham, is this okay? And Latham's like, yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, they put him under. I can't remember. Did they make some sort of agreement when they decided to keep him awake that they were like, we can knock you out at any time? Did they make some sort of agreement like that? I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't honestly don't remember. Because I was a little like thrown when Connor was like, I think it's time to knock you out. And he was like, don't you dare. And they did it anyway. I was like, no, that's not that's not how this works. But I think I don't know. I think. I don't think they did, but I think in this case, like, I'm sure somewhere it has to be, like, if for anything goes wrong, like, if worse comes to worse and we need to put you under, like, you can, like, you can be put under. Like, I'm sure that's in any, like, kind of agreement that you sign when you have this kind of surgery. Yeah, I'm sure. Because I think about it. Well, no, that wasn't like a surgery. That was just kind of an emergency thing. I'm thinking about Gray's when Meredith has baby number two. Oh, Bailey. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bailey. Um, and ends up being like, you know, obviously she's awake at first because the power went out. And so they had no choice but to start her surgery like awake. And then like she had to be put under. But obviously that was kind of a dire emergency circumstance. So she didn't like say anything of like this is the case so anyway so Rose and Becker go talk with Dr. Jaffrey after he wakes up and literally the only thing that he says he's like you know I'm disappointed in you um talking to Becker um and then he kind of goes right back to bed what (laughs) that really bothered me because that accomplishes nothing telling somebody what so what bothers you the fact the storyline or the like Dr. Jaffrey telling Becker that he's disappointed in her. No, him saying you disappoint me. That does nothing productive. All you did was just shoot her confidence. This does not help her get better. This does not help her learn from any sort of mistake that she may have made. It's so not productive to just say you disappoint me. Yeah. I don't know. I think he thinks that because he was her mentor and, you know, she was a star pupil that, like, he probably thinks that it is a teaching moment and that she failed when she operated on him because she didn't listen to him. And so, like, she failed. And so he deserves that he can – he deserves the right to say that, you know, she disappointed him. Uh, that that just – I don't know. That just really irritated me. Like, can we all just resolve to, like, not put people down for the sake of it? Because that just – Nothing productive comes of that, but whatever. I'm just yeah ranting. So Becker's very upset, and like when they leave, they you know Becker and Rhodes are talking in the hospital or in the hallway. Becker's upset, but you know she doesn't really want to talk about it, so she just kind of leaves. And Connor's just left to you know sit, stand there and be like, "Cool, what the fuck?" Um, and for me, like this whole thing, and especially that last scene, like definitely made me feel like they're making us feel sympathy for her, which I don't mind because. Like I've said before, she's not as bad as Hope like I thought she was going to be. But to me, like, they're kind of clearly setting up, like, the fact that Rhodes is starting to feel sympathy for her. And, like, I feel like they're going to – they're setting this all up for, like, a Rhodes and Becca romantic moment sometime in the near future. 
Okay, you know how you're not aboard the sex toy slash Chexton ship? Yes. I'm not aboard this ship. Yeah, I don't know if I'm aboard. I don't, I don't think, and for me, I think with this, I think it's the reason I'm not aboard with it is because I'm not aboard with the fact that this would be Connor's third ship in three seasons. And he's literally become the Kelly Severide of Chicago Med. Right. Make this That's a That's not what I'm on board with. I'm o- I'd am be okay, like, if Becker had come in, like, early season two or even season one and, like, they were going to establish a relationship, like, in these same scenarios. I'd be – I think I'd be fine with Rhodes and Becker as a couple because of the characters. But mm-hmm. I'm not okay with the fact that this is – would be Rhodes' third ship in three seasons. Right. And, like – Make this a bro TP and I'm there. Like, yeah. If they can be colleagues and be like work husband and wife, I'm there. I'm just not, I don't know if I'm ready for them to become a romantic thing. I just, eh. No, thank you. But I you. think if you, so I'm seeing like parallels to fire. So obviously, Manstead is like Dossie in that they were established from the beginning and like now they're finally getting their chance to like be a real relationship. And it's always going to be about them for each other like from here on out. Whereas Connor, as the other lead of the show, just like Severide is on fire, took him a lot longer to get established into like a relationship. Whereas now we're seeing that with Severide, with Stellaride, like that, even though they're not together, but like that's kind of going to be the ship for him I would think here on out and maybe now we're seeing that with Rhodes like Rhodes needs to be um he needs a love interest he's like the other main lead in the show and like he doesn't have anybody so now if they're gonna dance in circles around each other like Stellaride's been doing since like the dawn of time I'm okay with that because at least then it's gonna give us some time to come to a decision on whether we ship it or not so if they want to do that and just have them both be, like, really stupid about it, being like, oh, my God, I like this person, so I'm going to go date this other person, that's fine. Because then it gives me time to make up my mind. Yeah. I just – I could see it, like, especially now that I see, like, the parallels with, like, Dossie and Manstead and, like, then having the one other lead who just happens to be male, like, kind of have these, like, horrible romantic relationships before now. Like, I could see it happening. But yeah, we don't know. So, but yeah, so that's the end of the Becker, Rhodes, Jaffrey stuff. Um, Let's move on to sex toy. So, um, so Barry brings in this teenager named Deb and, you know, April and Toy immediately start to work on her. Um, And unclear what she, she like kind of, was she bruised when she came in? Like, why was she... They what did found she her actually get brought in for. They found her passed out in a park, if I remember correctly. Okay. Well, anyway, because like her condition veers off so much from the reason why she's initially brought in that I can't even remember the reason she's initially brought in. Right. Um. So anyway, but so she's brought in for whatever reason, <laughs> not important. But um, and they find out, you know. She's kind of fidgety and whatever, and so they kind of they figure out, you know, she talks about how she's been abused at home. Um, and so they leave her to get some tests done or whatever, and Choi, you know, and April walk out, and, like, they're talking about what they should do, like, should they call child services or whatever, and Choi's like, we don't even know if she's telling the truth. Um, what? 
I had a problem with this. I had a big problem with this. Like, you always, until you have some kind of evidence that says otherwise, like, you should take her for her word for it. Like, I don't know. This just really bothered me. It's just, it's Ethan being Ethan. Didn't he do it in the last episode, too, when he was just immediately, like, I don't even remember what happened in the last episode, but there was some situation that had him being, like, just about like that. Right. I just, I think it's especially, like, sensitive, like, when it comes to abuse of any kind, like, bully people, you know, when they say that they were abused until you have some kind of proof that proves otherwise. Right. Um. So it just, it kind of bothered me. But anyway, so they end up deciding to talk to Goodwin about what they should do next. Um, and Goodwin agrees with, April has this idea that, like, just by just calling child services, she's going to end up back in the abusive home where she came from. And, like, it's a broken system, so that's what, not what she wants to do. And so Goodwin agrees with April that child services would probably just send her right back to her abusive home. Um, and so, but Goodwin offers to kind of make some calls and see if, to some different group homes and see if, that like, any of them have a vacant spot so sex toy ends up coming to talk to deb um and her cousin came to get to her get her because she's really the only family that she has but they can't release her without a guardian since she's under 18 um but before they can really do anything about that issue deb begins to have a seizure um and they once they get her calmed down they end up bringing her for a head ct um and they call in the sarcastic dude that i can't ever remember his name <laughs> do you remember his name is it dr abrams is it or is that no i'm thinking dr stoll was the other one i was thinking about. yeah it's dr abrams okay well they bring in dr abrams to look at the scan um and they see something moving in there and so they use a scope and they end up pulling a cockroach out of her nose ew why gross ew <laughs> yeah why do moves. they hate us uh yeah I really want to know whose idea this was. Like, I hope it was off it, of, like, a personal story, like, experience, like, something that somebody has seen in a patient before. But, ew! I, I'm really just curious, like, is it just one writer who comes up with all the gross storylines, like, or is it one of the researchers? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, who does, like, who comes up with all these gross storylines? I know. Anyway. Uh... So it turns out the cockroach crawled up in there because it was attracted to, like, the sweetness of the cerebral fluid that is leaking into her nasal cavity. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, I also just don't understand how you didn't see a cockroach crawl into your nose or how, like, even if it was at night while you were asleep, like, how that didn't wake you up. But that's just me. But whatever. I just... I so many questions well I don't know if it's like an urban legend or something but like I remember when I was like a wee little Gina I remember somebody telling me that like the average person swallows like eight spiders throughout the night that could be an urban legend though um yeah you might want to google that or maybe not I don't know I don't want to google that I don't want to google that I don't want to google that So it could be something like that. I I don't think I really want to know how a cockroach got up her nose. Eight spiders every night. Google it. I don't know. I think I was no, a kid I when I heard Google that. Google it. Ew. <laughs> Ew. No, I know. Ew, indeed. I mean, that's gross, but 
Yeah, I just like I have a million questions, but I also don't want any of them answered. But I also yeah. like should I be scared about this when I go to bed at night that like a bug is going to be like there's glucose up in there. I should probably like get up in there. No, because you don't have cerebral fluid leaking into your nasal cavity, which is apparently what tracked it. But should like, we sleep with one eye open going forward? Like, Jeff, why do you do this to us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could just add this to the list of things to be afraid of. Literally every single episode of Chicago Med this season has like has something I need to now be afraid of. Copper pots. Um, going vegetarian. Um, <laughs> Every, <laughs> what else? Everything. Um, the common toothache. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah, copper. Pot. Oh, oh, and the guy who pulled out his intestine was he just? What was wrong with him again? I can't remember. Didn't he have? Um, what was he cut oh, himself it was just open? Like human instinct because he thought something was inside of him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, so as I said, Deb, Deb has cerebral fluid leaking into her nasal cavity after a trauma, um, you know, because she ends up admitting that her mom's boyfriend hit her. So she needs surgery. Um, and so Goodwin works, you know, to find a placement for Deb. Um, and she was able to get her on a couple wait lists for group homes, but nothing, you know, concrete. Um but because of that, you know, after surgery, she's going to have to have a somewhere, like, stable where she can go. And so Ethan ultimately is the one who gets to make the call since he's the head um, doctor on the case. And he ultimately determines that, you know, like, they have to notify children's services. Um, and so after, you know, Deb has a successful surgery, April visits her um, and tells her, you know, that they had to call child services. Um, and Deb is understandably upset. Um, and just kind of immediately goes, tries to go back to bed um, without even really saying anything to April. Um, so child services shows up later on to meet Deb. Um, and, you know, of course, it's some guy who shows up with Tenley case files. Um, he gets the patients mixed up. And so, you know, they're concerned, like April and Choi and Goodwin are concerned um, about Deb, but you know, this guy just is so overwhelmed that he clearly does can't make the time to be concerned with, like, personally concerned for everybody. Um, but they go to her room. They show him to her room. and But when they get there, Deb's gone. So Goodwin's like, we should call security. Um, but then later on, Choi asks April about it. And, you know, she's like, do you know, like, do you know where Deb went? And April just basically says, you know, like, Deb said she was going to leave and I didn't really stop her. Um, and then later on, they have another scene where April and Choi are talking, um, and April tries to get through to Choi by asking, you know, whether he would want, he would do something like this for his own sister who had her, her own issues, um, and it obviously gets Ethan thinking, um, and so at the very last scene of the episode, Ethan and April go to see Deb, and she's with other runaways living in a tent. Not the same place where Bria was, though, but somewhere else That's in true. Chicago. Skid Row. With, yeah, not in Skid Row, but another place in Chicago with tents for other runaways, teenagers. Um, 
And so she's like, you know, like, she's like, I don't want you to call child services later. I'm not going. And Ethan's like, well, that's not what we're here to do. You know, we're just here to check on you. Um, and he gives her some antibiotics and he, April's going to show her friend how to, you know, take care and clean the wound. Um, and he's like, you know, we just want to check it in on you. And that ends the April and Ethan storyline. Okay, did you, so this was a good storyline for them, because, like, we're starting to see that, you know, Choi is kind of grasping the notion of kind of coming to meet April halfway. Like, they're starting to gel as a couple better, so I'm curious if this helped you make a little bit more progress with your opinions on Sex Toy slash Chexton. Yes. Okay. So I definitely agree. I definitely see the progress. I definitely think like they're so much more tolerable. Like I don't want to like scream every time they're on the screen. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I still don't ship them. Like there's not been a moment where I'm like, oh my God, this is a couple. Like I ship it so hard. Like if they broke up tomorrow, I wouldn't be upset. But, like, I definitely see the progress, and I definitely can appreciate how they've changed each other and, like, what they've done, you know, like, how they've worked on themselves in order to be a better couple. I just personally don't ship them. I'm trying to see what's going to, like, flip you and get you to come to the dark side. I just, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. But I, I, I like what you said about how you like the, the effect they're having on each other. Uh, it's the same for me. Like, April's kind of opening Ethan's eyes a little bit. I feel like he was very stuck in his way of, like, this is how the world works. It's, you know, if, if A happens, then B happens, then C happens. But he's starting to realize that it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of that's what he gets for being in the military. Like, he has this very regimented, you know, way of thinking and, like, like you said, A has to turn into B, which then has to turn into C. And, like, if it doesn't really fall into that, then, like, that's what, you know, that's how it goes. But, yeah. I definitely think, I think they've both made a lot of progress, both as individuals and as a couple this season. And I think if they weren't as a couple, that wouldn't have happened. But I just, I don't know. Like, I just don't think they've had a moment where I'm like, wow, like, I really ship this. Mm-hmm. but I don't like I definitely don't hate them and like I definitely like enjoy their scenes together a lot especially recently I just don't yeah. like ship it I'm determined to get you to like come aboard <laughs> I mean I'm it's determined like, for me too like I mean like I like when I talk about like Stellaride like I don't ship Stellaride yet you don't no dude like I think they have potential and I think their chemistry is incredible and I think they're incredible friends and I think their flirtations are really great but they haven't had a moment and I think it's coming in the probably in the episodes after like right after hiatus when Stella's like so concerned for Kelly for whatever happens to him like I think that'll probably be it but like I just haven't had that like emotional like oh my god these two are incredible together like as a couple, like, it's in a romantic sense that, like, has pulled me towards Zelleride. I just feel like she's the only one that we've been able to fully vet, and so we know that, like, you know, 
she's not psycho. She's not just going to up and leave. She's not just going to up and die like Anna did. Like, she'll actually be there for him. Yeah. No, and I definitely, like, I see all of that. I just haven't had that moment that's like, oh, my God, these two, what is happening right now? Yeah, hopefully it's coming. Yeah. For sex toy and for Stellaride. Yes, on both fronts. But anyway, so the last thing we just briefly have to talk about is Maggie. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, Barry is the one who brings Deb in. And of course, he can't come to Chicago Med and not talk to Maggie. So he asks Maggie out again. Um, and Maggie's like, I thought we talked about this. Um, but anyway, and so she leaves that conversation like not really saying no, but also not saying yes either, which Barry's like, I'll take that as a maybe. Um, Facepalm. And so Barry approaches Maggie again a second time. Um, and Maggie's like, I thought you, like, we talked about this. She's like, I, you know, nothing's changed yet. But all Barry wanted to do was return Deb's coat, which she left in the ambulance. Um, and so he does that. And then he turns around immediately and kind of leaves. Um, and Maggie kind of has this look of like, wow, like he's nicer than he was before. Look, like look on her face. So like you can definitely tell that like in that moment she was like, maybe I should rethink this date thing. Um, and so at the very end, Maggie approaches Barry. This time Maggie approaches Barry herself after he finishes dropping off another patient. Um, and she agrees to the date. And Barry is like, what has gotten into you? And Maggie's like, I don't know. Maybe I've lost my mind. <laughs> Um, Here is a couple I don't ship. See, I don't know if I, I don't think I ship them. I think I'm just more curious. Like, I'm just so curious about the past for them and, like, what, like, how that affected Maggie and how, like, how it shaped Maggie into the person that she is today. I don't ship them. And I don't know if they'll ever become a couple that really ships or if Barry's just kind of like a, we need to use him in order to learn more about Maggie and her personal life. And like, he's just a pawn to get us to more later on. I mean, if they're trying to slow burn this, they're doing a terrible job of it because literally every episode is exactly this. It's Barry asks Maggie out. Maggie says no. Barry comes back and asks Maggie out again. Maggie says no. Barry comes back at the end of the episode and asks her out. Maggie says, maybe. And that's it. So... I'm not a fan of this because every single time Barry asks, she says no. And Barry keeps coming back and asking again, take the loss, dude. Take the loss. Just walk away. What I think for me, that's kind of just like, I'm curious why he can't take the loss. Like, what about their relationship in the past was so special that like, I mean, it's Maggie. So like, and she's a great person, but like, what about their relationship and their love was so special that like he can't say no, even though it, or she can't take no for an answer, even though it's been like 10 times that he's asked her out in like season three. And she said no every time until now. Well, he can't take no because isn't he the one who fucked it up? Didn't he cheat? Have see, And that's my thing is like, have we really like, is that what we know for sure? Like, I haven't, I don't know. I don't remember. Like, is that like what we know he did? If I remember correctly, I think Maggie was saying that he's the one who cheated. Yeah, I just, I think we need more details and like, I don't know. No. I'm curious to see if we get to see a date scene between them, like what they talk about and like if their previous relationship comes up. I'm just going to speak it from experience here. 
just trust me on this one. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Run for the hills, Maggie. Don't say yes. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Stay strong and just keep saying no because once a cheater, always a cheater. Mic drop. Gina out. Gina out. <laughs> yeah. So but that's it for the uh, Maggie stuff. Um, and that's it for the end of Chicago, our discussion of Chicago Med 309. Um, I mean, we kind of already talked about it before we dived in the episode, but Gina, do you have any more just like general thoughts about the episode? You said you liked it. You didn't love it. Um, I wasn't crazy about it, but now that I think about it, we did have a lot to talk about. So that's good. Yeah, we definitely had more than I thought we were. We talked about more than I thought we would. Yeah. So it was, you know, there were moments that stuck out more so than the overall episode. Yes. Yes, I definitely say that. There were definitely more moments. And I think there were definitely more moments that sticked out in the entire episode. Like, I think if I looked back and, like, even at the end of the season, I was like, 309, what happened in 309? But now that, like, having gone back and, like, had our discussion, I think there's more storylines that are going to affect, like, future episodes than I thought there was. That stem from this episode? Yeah. Like, there was stuff about the Will and Natalie stuff, which I didn't think that was. But once we had our conversation about it, I clearly, especially because I don't, I didn't see the promo, so I didn't realize the Natalie stuff. But, like, that looks like it's going to carry over. Um, the Sarah stuff, hopefully, we'll get to see more progress. Not directly from the storyline, but, like, she made progress. So, like, only up from here. Um, the Connor stuff, again, not directly stemmed from this episode, but we talked about where they're going to go with Rhodes and Becker and how we thought that, or I thought that, this kind of was setting them up for a romance. Um, April and Choi, again, not really directly stemmed from this, but just where they go, especially with Ethan's sister supposedly coming sometime soon. Um, and then obviously with Maggie and Barry. So, yeah. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Yeah. But so, like I said, that's it for this discussion. Um, as always, you can find us on all forms of social media where Meet Us at Molly's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, you name it, we're probably there. Um, so, and yeah, so you can also email us, meetusatmolly's at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter with any thoughts, feelings, concerns about anything we said in tonight's episode, anything we've said in a previous episode, anything we've said on Twitter. Anything we've just said anywhere, anything you just want to talk about and get off your chest um, or inboxes. Thoughts, always. suggestions, ideas, anything, guys. Yeah, anything. We're always, you know, there. Um, we're also coming up. So over the Olympic hiatus, we only have two weeks off, but we are going to do, um, if you haven't seen our schedule on Twitter, our February schedule, we are going to do a um med pilot rewatch and recap which is super exciting and then we also are going to do an episode talking about all the other tv shows that the three of us watch so especially in terms of the med recap though if you guys have any thoughts about that if you want to rewatch it with us tina are we gonna do a like twitter rewatch like we did for med or pd and fire we certainly could um we should probably check our schedules and then we uh, it'll probably have to be this coming weekend as in the day after you listen to this. Um, but yeah, we certainly could. We'll look into that. Yeah. Stay tuned to our Twitter and see if we actually end up doing that. But um, 
anyway, so yeah, if you have, like I said, if you have any thoughts on the med pilot, um, send them to us before we record that next week. Um, and yeah, as you can also, if you want to just talk to us individually for any number of reasons, um, you can find us on social media. I am at Brina K13, Gina. I'm at Gina Watches TV. And Ashley is at Ashnick095. Um, and that is Nick N I C. Um, but yeah. So, and so like you said, this is coming out Friday. We'll have another, we'll have our PD recap on Monday. And until then, enjoy your weekend and we'll, we'll see you guys on Monday. Bye. Bye.